Welcome to Jesus Politics, where we bring the scriptures to life and leadership today. Happy Friday, and welcome to our journey through Exodus. And this week, we're going to be in chapter 9. This week, as we've read through uh, this chapter, uh, again, the, the plagues seem to speed up a little bit. And the, the pacing, I think, tells us a lot about what God is, is doing and in some ways who he is as he's introducing himself uh, to his people, the Hebrew people, and in some ways to the Egyptians as well. Because both of these cultures, both of these people groups, um, either have had nothing to do with him whatsoever or who have been disconnected from him for many generations. And their forefathers that he brings up every once in a while, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, even them, they don't necessarily have really close, tight, intimate relationships with God. Uh, it tends to be more of the heavenly being that blesses them. Um, I wouldn't go so far to say is like their lucky charm or, or their guardian angel, so to speak, uh, because in all of those cases, God shows himself to be clearly superior to them, uh, not the one who's somehow serving or in servitude uh, to them. The blessings that they receive over and over are shown to be things that they don't deserve, that's not of their own doing. And we're seeing that same concept of undeserved blessing being poured out here upon the Hebrew people in Egypt. But we start uh, in the first seven verses for, for our first reading here. And um, God sends Moses to go tell Pharaoh uh, to let the people go. And if you don't, then the severe pestilence is going to hit your livestock. And then he, he says, tomorrow, God is going to do this. And again, there, there's, no, there's no chance to, to turn away and say, oh, okay, I'll really let him go this time. As there has been among the previous plagues, God has said, you're going to get the whole bunch of plagues. And, and that's what's going to happen here. And so here again, just like with the flies, the plague of uh, flies specifically, it's not just about causing discomfort and um, in some ways harm to the people. It's about God showing that he can separate out. So this pestilence, this plague that's going to beset the livestock, it uh, kills all of the Egyptian livestock, but it kills none of the Hebrew livestock uh, from their place in Goshen. I'm sure scientists and, and uh, those folks who study diseases can, can come up with some, some really good scientific ways about how diseases might not cross over from one place into another uh, among those livestock. And it might be in part that they're working with different livestock because the Hebrew people uh, were shepherds. They, they used sheep uh, for a lot that they did. And uh, sheep were something that was not commonly used and in some ways considered unclean uh, for the Egyptians. So part of it might be type of livestock. But we know from the Hebrew culture that they used 
cattle. Uh, they used goats. They used multiple other kinds of livestock as well. It was not just sheep. And, but the, the distinction was both that that plague happened on the day that Moses said it was going to happen, that God told him it was going to happen, and that it clearly distinguished between the Hebrew people and the Egyptians. And the effect of this plague then was that uh, all of their livestock, which would be the, the things that produce milk for them, the things that produce their meat, uh, overnight was gone, and that, that they couldn't have that anymore, unless they were willing to eat um, the carcasses of things that had died from a mysterious plague. And most of the Middle Eastern cultures were suspicious enough and skeptical enough about any kind of disease that they're not going to go after something that they know specifically died from some unknown illness for fear that they would pick it up themselves. So that's, that's where that, uh, that plague of pestilence uh, kind of picked up. And it, it, again, at the end of this, it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Um, and so we're starting to see the move away from God hardening, or uh, Pharaoh hardening his own heart and moving closer grammatically to Pharaoh, uh, God being the one hardening his heart. Uh, from Pharaoh doing that himself to God taking over, which again was just as God had said there. So then uh, here we have this in, in this next uh, session here, the, the plague of, of boils, where again, Moses and Aaron go and they take a handful of soup, soot, throw it up in the air, and it becomes boils breaking out on all of those who uh, are around. And uh, those boils being sores that are painful. And those are things that are uncomfortable and, uh, and we don't want to deal with at the best of times. But if, if we try to put ourselves back in the context of the, again, the Middle Eastern there on the edge of the desert, wild wilderness, right outside in your backyard, uh, wild animals, all kinds of things, and uh, in a much more, not only agriculturally based, but um, human work based. It's maybe a, a good way to think about that. They didn't have lots of tools. They certainly didn't have robots and lots of machines that allowed them to work from home in comfort. Um, if they wanted something done, they had to do it themselves. And when you've got boils and sores on you to the extent that it hurts to move, it hurts to walk, that only not only makes your work more painful and hard to get done, but it makes your life more dangerous. Uh, with that wilderness in their backyard, you could have wild animals that normally you would hunt off or you would scare off um, or you would just run away and get to somewhere safer. But if you can't run, if you can't climb a tree, if you can't do this and can't do that, uh, it puts you at risk. And in those more primitive kind of societies, that's maybe not the best word to use, but, but ones that don't have a lot of uh, technology and, and comfort, um, and, and probably more especially just in a society where the strong survive and the weak do not. 
this puts everybody at a point of weakness. And so they've already lost their livestock to pestilence. And now that sickness, that hurt, those boils, it's that death is starting to touch them. And there's no, again, no warning. Um, and God just says, they're going to get all the plagues. We're, we're not messing around anymore. There's no more asking. There's no more negotiating. Egypt is going to get all the plagues. And um, so settle in for the ride. So that next uh, time, the, the, the next day, they come back and the, the plague is the plague of hail. And God just, God just talks about uh, the hail, that ice from the sky that falls. And in, in a Midwestern uh, kind of area uh, where I grew up, Great Plains, we have lots of crops. And hail can be devastating. It can be devastating to those crops and to those farms. It can be devastating to houses and buildings, certainly devastating to cars when they don't have garages to keep them safe. And when those hail storms come, we are always thankful that we have insurance that helps cover the cost of the damage uh, for all of that. Egypt, they didn't have insurance. They didn't have cars as well, uh, but they did have houses and some of those houses may not have been made out of uh, brick and stone and mortar. Some of it may have been made out of things that were uh, softer or um, easier to break apart. And even the way that they, they put up brick buildings may have been very susceptible uh, to the hail, depending on how big it was uh, coming down. But the idea of hailstorms coming down in the middle of a desert place, that's, that's kind of preposterous. They, they struggle with rainstorms and with wind, uh, when the sandstorms kind of thing would, would blow through. But hail, they, they wouldn't even know what to do with. And so the kind of crops that they were growing, uh, many of them would have been destroyed. In fact, it says specifically they are. Um, in the, the next passage, uh, it says that, th that, in fact, two of the kinds of crops at the end of this passage, the flax and barley were ruined, but that they still had wheat and spelt that were not ruined because they, they were kind of a later season crop. Um, they had not grown up enough yet. And so in this last passage with this, this hail, this last plague, we see God showing his, his justice, uh, raining that down. Uh, again, there's no waiting for Pharaoh to, going and asking Pharaoh to let the people go again. It's just saying, here's what the plague's going to be tomorrow. Uh, you're dealing with that. And so in the midst of this hailstorm that continues to go on, Pharaoh uh, seemingly breaks and he comes and he confesses his sin. Uh, he calls for Moses has them come to him and says, I've sinned this time because here, here's all this devastation. We already lost our livestock to disease and now we're losing our crops. We're not going to have any food left. Um, this, this is a problem. I have sinned. God is in the right and me and my people are the wicked ones. So please go out and pray to your God that he will stop this storming, this thunder and this hail. And if you do, uh, I will let you go. 
and you won't be here any longer. And Moses says, as soon as I'm out of the city, I'll pray, and that will be done. And so there, there's a number of points where God's justice and God's mercy also show in this. Moses didn't have to show up. I mean, he, he was walking in the midst of a hailstorm from uh, his safety there in Goshen where this storm was not hitting. Um, but also, uh, right before that hailstorm hits, there's an aspect of mercy shown to the Egyptians, even though the Hebrew, uh, even though the, the Egyptians are the only ones that are being hit with this hail, the Hebrew people are just fine. Moses still sends out that warning from God. This is going to happen at this time tomorrow, so you better find a place to hide. And they have that choice to either believe God, take him at his word, and go and find shelter, or to ignore God and to suffer the, the, the catastrophe head-on uh, by surprise. God gives them an out if they so choose to, to take that. But um, Pharaoh shows a sort of, not, not only an irresponsible, but a manipulative side. He, he begins to understand that he has to play the game with Moses if he wants these plagues to be cut short. And he knows the right words to say. He, he knows how to sort of confess his sin with no intention of backing that up with repentance. And so the, the plague of hail stops. Um, but it then says Pharaoh's heart was hardened again. And, and here, because of this kind of manipulation, it specifically says that, that he hearted his heart, Pharaoh did again. So there's, there's Pharaoh um, making these choices, not just God acting on him here on this particular plague. So I think it's important for us to, to recognize and especially in times that, that we have been in for quite a while where uh, multicultural conflicts come up uh, between different people. And sometimes you've got different people and everybody's claiming that God's on their side. Sometimes you, God's, God's people are on one side and there are other people that don't claim God at all uh, whatsoever or claim a different God. But um, for all of those people, God shows both justice and mercy. And he's able to do that in ways that sort of pick out varying levels of responsibility. I know the sort of classic examples that tend to be brought up from the 20th century is those who are involved with Nazi Germany and what kind of punishments or uh, reparations needed to be made or were made uh, for those people. And uh, I mean, you've got government civil servants who never picked up a gun all the way up to Adolf Hitler himself in many levels of superiority and hierarchy and responsibility that go along with that. And the question is, um, do we just treat everybody who was part of that system the same? Or uh, do we, we vary that the level of justice that is meted out um, based on or in some kind of connection to the level of responsibility that they had. And that's certainly what's been going on in our country um, with the uh, riots that we've had all last year led by different people in different places. The, the big one that really shook the nation there uh, at the Capitol building itself um, 
but uh, parts of this that have been going on uh, over and over for a long time. And we struggle, and I think we should struggle with how do we find and treat the leaders of some of that, especially when it turns violent, damaging, and destructive, and people get hurt or people get killed. And how do we treat uh, the people whose hands actually held the guns, um, whose fists actually beat the people or broke things? Um, how do we treat the people with boots on the ground? Um, and it gets, it gets drawn out even more when you think about wars between countries and soldiers and commanders and all of that. It's complicated, it's messy, and God doesn't give a just one-size-fits-all answer to this, but he strives to show by example that you can have both justice and mercy for everybody that's involved. It just takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of perseverance. And instead of just wiping Egypt out with one great big plague, uh, there's 10 that, that sort of happen over a space of time, negotiations that happen even though God knows they're not gonna work out. But the very fact that God was communicating with the people um, shows that right relationship that he wants from them. And even if he never gets it from the Egyptians, he's at least living and showing that example to the Hebrew people because it's not gonna be that too much longer down the road when the Hebrew people are gonna start fighting amongst themselves, when they're gonna start abusing one another, when they're gonna start enslaving one another. And they're gonna go back and they're gonna have an example of when this starts happening at home in our own context, where we are the people that are responsible on one level or another. Where is the justice and where is the mercy for us? And I think that's, that's part of the question that we need to ask. Um, and Jesus in the Gospels lives that out in a powerful way that reminds everybody, it doesn't matter what country you're from, what political party you're siding with, what leaders you follow, uh, at some level, you're part of the human race. You bear some of the responsibility for the mess of the human race. But God has some mercy along with that justice um, if we're willing to, to listen to him and follow him and trust him through it. Thank you for listening to this Friday weekly wrap-up. And uh, we look forward to reading through Exodus chapter 10 next week. This is Tony Franklin. Thank you for joining us for Jesus Politics in our journey through Exodus. See you all next Friday.